Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales and this is the show where we sit down with Christians from all walks of life to hear more about their testimony, life and career. And today um, I'm actually sitting in a pub in Eastbourne with the award-winning comedian Andy Kind. Andy, welcome to the show. Hi, Sam. You are hours away from playing in Eastbourne. That's right. At a church, yeah. at a gig. Um, so it's so. Uh, what is it? Just gone four o'clock, and uh, we're, I'm probably interrupting your pre-stand-up routine. What, what does your pre-show routine? Look no, like? it, it involves uh, sitting in secluded places, drinking coffee, which <laughs> which is what I'm doing now. So um, no, I I probably two hours before a gig, I become really antisocial, and I do have to think about what I'm doing even after sort of 2,000 gigs I do need to know what's going on because yeah. it's, it's muscle memory and um, you know you need to you need to be focused and you need to be clear-headed but we've still got some time before I totally blank you <laughs> so being known as a comedian is there any kind of uh, pressure even in a conversation like this to have to be funny not anymore no I remember when I first started um, I would try and show off I mean I am a natural show off Comedians are, are either naturally depressed or naturally show-offs, and I'm the, the, the latter category. But when I first started, I think I was so keen to prove that I was funny yeah. that I would try and do it everywhere. And having been at school and been told, yeah, you're funny, you're the funniest in our class, I, I always did play up to that a little bit. I went chasing after that. But, you know, I've been a comedian for 13 years. It's the only job I've ever needed, and um, I've done 2,000 gigs around the world. Like, I don't really have anything to prove anymore. I mean, it doesn't mean everyone... Th- thinks I'm funny or sure. and that's fine I'm, yeah. all opinions are available but I, I'm much more content in my ability to uh, to do the job yeah. yeah I'd love to talk a bit more about um, how it all sort of started in the early days but here on the show we always like to go right back to the beginning and talk about someone's life growing up and I understand you are originally from Stoke-on-Trent yeah well, I was born in Birmingham yeah but I was uh, raised uh, from the age of three in uh, Newcastle under Lyme which is just outside Stoke-on-Trent uh, but I always say Stoke because a lot of people think Newcastle under Lyme is Geordie Land right, yeah. and you drink Newcastle Brown and you're related to Gaza and <laughs> things like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm from Newcastle under Lyme, which is a little town uh, within the potteries, really, and uh, moved there when I was three, raised there and lived there pretty much on and off until I was 27. So uh-huh. it is still home yeah. to a degree. Yeah, sure. Uh, where did Christian faith come, come in? Was that part of your childhood growing up? Yes and no, really. So, um, mum and dad are both Christians, and um, so I grew up, yeah, in a in a Christian household. You know, a household can't be Christian, but you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, only people can be Christian. Mum and dad are both Christians, and um, so went to church. Went to a Christian fellowship. I remember when I was quite small. Uh, the charismania of the 1980s, I think, was uh, was at its peak, uh, and then moved. Mum moved us to an Anglican church, uh, and. The, the gospel I believe now and the gospel I preach now is not the gospel I was raised on or the, or the gospel that I believed as a, as a younger person but I've also never been an atheist I've always just very easily seen God's existence and God's hand at work and I, I remember when I was sort of five or six years old I had a really bad nervous twitch uh, and my mum prayed for me she put a hand on my head and she said I'm going to pray for you now and I, I, I felt really dizzy said mum what's going on I feel really dizzy so well that's just the Holy Spirit and uh, and the twitch went I was healed of that twitch and so from a very early age I had a real sense of God mm. 
God's existence and his ability to, to do stuff. So, yeah, but as a, as a young teenager, I played football on a Sunday. The church we went to was a kind of classic, sleepy, parochial Anglican church. So it was all very much, Father God, we do thank you for this day on the night before he was betrayed. And I got to the point where I thought, you know, I do, I love God and I, I know I know him to a degree, but this doesn't have anything to say to me. This isn't, what is this? You know, going to church and it's, it's, it's Jam and Jerusalem, thinking, well, what? There's a there's a discrepancy somewhere, and it took it was I was in my mid twenties by the time I reconciled right. those things. Yeah, because you say now that the gospel you understand now is not necessarily the same as the one you were brought up with. So, so what exactly has changed? I inherited middle class Christianity, um, where the the main aim is really to make something of yourself. Of course, Philippians 2 tells us of Jesus that not considering equality with God something to be grasped, he made himself nothing. So if I'm trying to make something of myself following a guy who made himself nothing, well, something's gone wrong there. There's a disparity there somewhere. So, yeah, I inherited a middle-class Christianity where the good news was basically that I was raised in the West. And that's not the good news of, of the gospel. Uh, my inheritance, the Bible tells me, is something that can never spoil, perish or fade. And it's things like love and joy and hope and peace and freedom and fullness of life. It's not uh, Netflix <laughs> and a graduate job and a mortgage and, and a nice garden when I retire. Those are, that's not my inheritance. I am an evangelist now. I am a preacher. and, I, and I, So you reflect a lot more. And if you hear the gospel alongside British imperialism or um, a, a particular political view, well, it's no longer just the gospel. It gets co-opted by other things and it loses its... It's power. Do you, do, you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, it reminds me of Jesus talking about it's it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Mm. And I think even myself, when I hear that, I think, oh, yes, it's it's hard for the millionaires. Yeah, and yeah. You kind of forget that, oh, actually, I am probably one of the people Jesus was talking about, if you yeah. take a global perspective. Yeah. Um, and you're not the only person to point out the church is, is very middle class. That seems to be a criticism that I'm hearing more and more. Is there a simple answer to that question? Because clearly we're not expecting those who are middle class to announce their faith. That can't be the way forward. No, no, no. The uh, the simple answer this is it are you ready for this the simple answer is deny yourself pick up your cross and follow him I don't want that to be the answer <laughs> so um, you know you, as a preacher you preach to yourself first of all and it's there it's all there and it's really hard. I, I love. Um, I do this thing where I read the Psalm of my age as my sort of Psalm for the year. So I'm wow. 37 now. And that's, really, Psalm, that's really interesting. It's that's brilliant. Really it's wow. brilliant. Um, so I try and read it like once a fortnight. And um, there's a bit where it says, um, "The Lord establishes a man's steps and takes pleasure in his way. Though he will fall, he will not be over overwhelmed because the Lord holds his hand." And I just think, you know, it, the joy of grace is that, yeah, you are going to fall, but you're not going to be overwhelmed because I've got you. I've got you. And I take pleasure in your way, which means that even when you're on the ground falling, I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and it's so freeing. It's not just behave well, otherwise God will... It's not behave well, otherwise God will be angry. It is as a result of the love that we can experience through through God and our relationship with God, behavior comes from that but behavior is secondary to relationship like i wouldn't want to live or die by this but um i heard someone that you, you are you become an average of the five people you're closest to mm. and uh and i don't think that's necessarily totally true but it, there's something in it isn't there and 
And so if the five people, if one of the five people you know best is Jesus, <laughs> then you're doing pretty well. But I think you, you, we do, we're always being discipled by something and someone at, at, at some point. When none of us are neutral, none of us are free thinkers, um, we are all vessels and we absorb stuff. You know, if you listen to R&B or hip hop for an hour, and then you listen to classic FM for an hour, your mindset and your behaviour will be different after those two experiments just because of how we sponge like absorb things mm. so going back to, to your story uh, you went to university studied mm-hmm. French mm. and French with Italian and after that managed to sort of wind up in comedy <laughs> yeah. How did, yeah how did that happen I was trapped I was tricked <laughs> I needed the money <laughs> I was like a comedy mule <laughs> smuggling <laughs> comedy across the border um, I always wanted to be a comedian I remember being so a, why did you study French well because of the middle class thing, I um, I went to private school, and throughout private school, I was told that I would go to university, and I never really wanted to, but I was just told that that's what you do, and you do the thing that you're best at, and I was best at French, I found it easy, um, and I found everything else quite hard. I picked it, went to university, never really wanted to use it as part of my, my job, uh, always wanted to be a comedian. When I was in first year at high school, like you, we had to write about our idols, and people were, t- you know, picking Martin Luther King and you know Florence Nightingale. I chose Rowan Atkinson because um, <laughs> I wanted to have a, a, a lovely face, a lovely expressive face. <laughs> but I always wanted to be a, a comedian. That just never went away. And you and you realise that the people who have the money and are offering you jobs actually don't really care where you've been to university or how you did at university. That may have been the case a lot a while ago. So yeah, the, I, I think I um gravitated towards the thing that I really wanted to do which was to make people laugh and my gift has always been communication Um, so and my love has always been making people laugh I just love I just love the sound of laughter so I think having become quite quickly disillusioned with what the world of work actually was and the rat race and being a graduate was I just this this is it says to quote Morrissey it says nothing to me about my life this is not what my life is so uh, having worked in London for six months in a sales job, I quit that. And then I just thought, you know, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give comedy a go. Because if I, if I don't, then I will... It's the classic cliche, I'll, I'll always regret it. Mm. Um, and I don't think I expected it to work. I didn't expect it to work. I went to the comedy store in 2004 and saw a bill that included Omid Jalili and um, Adi van der Borg and Ben Norris, amazing comedians. And I came away from that thinking I could never be good enough to do that. Uh, but then I've got a, I've got a, a poster from 2009 um, where it says it's the, a, a gig in London and I was comparing, I was the host. And on that bill, were two of the same people from that comedy store gig four years previous and I remember coming away from that gig in 2009 thinking I did it I did what I didn't think I could do um, so this is no you just travelling around doing stand up wherever people will pay you basically <laughs> not even that sometimes um, yeah so I started comedy in 2005 January 23rd 2005 went down to Bath uh, I talk about this in my first book Stand Up and Deliver available from <laughs> eden.co.uk and other places where it's cheaper. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I just started registering on all these different websites. And I look back at my material now and I think, I don't know. That was the grace of God because I don't know how that material went down so well. Uh, I, did a, I went along to watch a gig in Stoke with my friend Ben. I went up to the promoter. I had no idea how comedy worked. I went up to the promoter 
and I said, hello, I'm a comedian. Uh, can I do a gig at some point in the future? That isn't really how it works. <laughs> and, and the promoter said, well, it's interesting that there's a guy called Mahinda Sunyara who was supposed to be on next, but he's stuck on the M6 in traffic. Do you want to go on now? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I do. And I went on and again got voted man of the match at the end, had an amazing gig, don't know how. But I came off stage and I ran my mum and said, Mum, this is what Jesus wants me to do. This is a confirmation of what uh, of, of me doing this. And, and that was it. That was it. And it was just that sense of, you know, like the, the Red Sea parting, if you like, something seemingly impossible happening and me kind of just walking into it. So uh, it's, a, it's been really hard. I've, I've, I've given up twice over the last 13 years. Um, but I've always been resurrected, partly because I've realised I'm not very good at anything else. Like, I have a really limited skill set. When you gave up, what did that look like? You're only three consecutive bad gigs away from giving up. Uh, and so that's happened twice. <laughs> and um, in 2006, I was only still a baby, really, in comedy terms. I had three gigs. I thought, I can't, I can't do this. This I'm not good at this. This is this is failed. I've given it a go, but I failed. I don't know how to get out of this slump. Um, and I said, if I if I if I do badly my next gig, that is it. My next gig was on Easter Sunday, 2006, and I had a good gig, not a great gig, but I had a good gig. And I remember thinking, okay, now I can keep going. It's it's I've stopped the rot, <laughs> yeah. um, and I've reversed the polarity. Later on, I, I just got to the stage. Yeah, 2011, I was doing a gig in Harpenden. It was for a new Frontiers Church, but it was in a, a school hall in Harpenden. And it, it was going really well. I was, doing, I was doing really well. And in the break, I remember on my notepad, writing down for the second half, uh, new Peppa Pig joke, um, stuff about Grandad. I don't want to do this anymore. And I didn't realise I was writing it. I was just writing, I don't want to do this anymore. And I don't know why. I think, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'd got to the stage where... I was doing a lot of gigs for churches, and I was it was I was really serving well, but I was I was kind of having to forego a lot of creative license. Um, you know, you become you become the comedian of the gigs you perform. You become your decisions. You know, we become what we behold. And so, doing gigs for churches, you can talk about wanting to push the envelope and you know push boundaries and, and stuff, but actually. You want to keep getting booked and you want to keep getting paid and, and most churches will you know they want it to keep they want it to be safe they, yeah. they're not really interested in the creative or the artistic license they're not wanting to promote your art so much they want to put on an event that will be a safe and quality event but safe event for them to invite friends and and so there's there's buffers in place mm. there and i think i just got my, the stuff i was writing and wanting to write increasingly was was disparate from and, and separated from the stuff that was working and I just thought this isn't what I want anymore what, what you just said there though about um, you know churches they don't necessarily want you to push the envelope they don't want to increase your creativity or enhance your art I mean isn't that exactly why so many artists I know do grow disillusioned with the church I think that is it and look you know I, I, I'm not um, I, I, I absolutely love the church and want to build up the body and I don't want to tear down and actually you don't want people coming along and ridiculous risks being taken uh, which which break relationships with with seekers and 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 the wider community of course I see that I think also though that we can then become too fear-based and the thing the bible says more than anything else is do not fear it doesn't say anything as much as it says that so one of the things we do really well at the moment is uh 
championing the poor I think actually as a church like food banks Christians Against Poverty mm-hmm. fantastic well I think we are nailing that um, we are so bad at championing people's artistic gifts to the point of cursing people and I don't mean woo I just mean you know for me a, a curse is if you hear a lie enough times you'll believe it and that and that's a curse and as an example if you go to your church leader and you say I feel like God's called me as a missionary to Africa they'll be like oh this is amazing fantastic oh God's really on you the Holy Spirit's really anointing you uh, what we'll do we'll put you on our prayer list and we'll um, support raise for you and we'll get a picture of you we'll put it on the notice board uh, uh, attached to a map via a piece of uh, thread or kind of ribbon uh, <laughs> and uh, people will know that you're doing that if someone comes to the pastor or the church leader and says I feel like God's calling me as a missionary to the arts what will tend to happen not universally but generally is um well that's interesting it's interesting you've got that that hobby why don't you get yourself a normal job and then at christmas you can help us with our nativity because that will help you with your artistic gift won't it i mean that 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 is lots of people's story and um and yet unless they're a worship leader unless they're a worship leader and again like i i it's we're brilliant at discipling worship leaders i'm not trying to tear down that but who, the other who, arts who's championing well. the performance poets yeah. like no nobody really and no one likes poetry but we should still be <laughs> <laughs> we should still be championing but do you know what I mean it's it's yet the the first thing if you look at those two examples the first thing that most people in our society do when they get home is not see what's going on in Kenya or you know Uganda they put on the TV and you'll hear loads of people saying oh it'd be really good if there were more authentic Christian characters on TV but who's supposed to write them if we're going to have Christian characters, we need to have Christian screenwriters. But where, who's discipling them? Where are they supposed to come from? What I'm really passionate about, and again, I'm not answering the question you asked, but I'm just—I've had diet coke and I've had coffee, and I'm going to—I'm just off. You are—we should say—you are drinking both a diet coke and a coffee right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And presumably, this is all—this is all to help relate. I'm on the bad boy. To... I'm the bad boy of the evangelical world, Sam. <laughs> we're sitting in a pub, and you, being a bad boy, is drinking two soft drinks. Yes. Yes. Excellent. I said about a bad boy, not a heathen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a, a, ba- a backslider. So. Um, he says, tongue firmly in cheek. Um, what was I saying? I don't know. No, I but don't know. It was know. really great. Yeah, I was enjoying. I was really. I, I mean, I felt it, a really lot of, anointed. A lot of what you were just saying, um, I guess, brings us quite neatly on to, to one of the projects you're involved in, which, as I understand it, is running a retreat a retreat centre. Yes. And I know part of that, as you say, is, is discipling people in the arts. So, do you want to talk specifically about this retreat centre and how that <coughs> came about? Because I don't really want to well. talk about the retreat centre because it. Uh, okay, now we'll talk about it because actually, I'm very good. I, I talk a good game, and I'm very good at making myself sound impressive. Um, I made a big mistake. Uh, so we, I took my family to Yorkshire from Manchester to run this retreat centre thinking that we would turn it into this amazing creative art place and we haven't, I haven't done it uh, because I couldn't do it because I'm not, I'm not capable of it. My skill set is much more limited than I thought and uh, I don't have a team around me and so actually the retreat centre runs well but it runs as a retreat centre mm-hmm. and uh, I have found myself like completely isolated and lonely and actually you know really bored and uh quite embarrassed because i had these big dreams these big pictures and like we do i do feel like the lord said to go there i think he gave us warnings um but he also said look you know that is just this is the right move and i'd become quite disillusioned again with just doing church outreach gigs you know being the at one point being described i don't know who it was but being described as the the golden boy of the uh, charismatic evangelical outreach world. I mean, that doesn't mean anything, but it, 
but I remember thinking, is that is that who I am? Am I the am I the guy they you know chinook in for alpha launches? Because um, even then, I was like, well, I still don't see the fruit of that. I just I, I get I make people laugh, and then they they sign up for alpha, and I don't even know what happens as a result of that. I become disillusioned with again just doing gigs that weren't gigs and I wanted something new and I didn't want to we just had our second daughter and I didn't want to be away from my girls or you know, wife and two girls away uh, for so long so it did mean moving to this set, retreat centre that we would I would be more localised be more centralised I'd have more time with the girls and it wasn't a mistake because God said go uh, but on a professional level on a personal level it was a mistake and it was it's a failure it is a failure in terms of uh, and bearing in mind what I said earlier about there's no condemnation, I don't feel guilty or ashamed. But just just looking at it objectively, I see that I, the thing I set out to do, I misjudged and have failed at. And, and that's okay because actually there's a new season on its way, hopefully. And I wouldn't have wanted to, I didn't want to preach the gospel when I moved to Westwood. And now I do want to. And that's what I feel is the calling for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I've had to really... <laughs> Again, to, to sound quite you know, charismatic evangelical, I feel like I'm really going through a desert right now, um, and uh, and and that and that's true. But I, I listened to an amazing Mike Pilavachi talk, where he talked about David being anointed king and then going back to being a shepherd, and the message was, part, "Don't be afraid to partner with obscurity." And I think having been quite well known within the Christian world, the evangelical Christian world, as a comedian, as a reliable person doing all the festivals. To suddenly remove myself from that has been difficult, mm-hmm. but also really important because when I get released back into the wild, if you like, it will be properly as a preacher, mm-hmm. and and there's there's just a different character needed. Yeah. You know, comedy is self-elevating by its by its nature. Preaching is self-denying and yeah. Jesus elevating, and there's it's all very well saying these things, but you you. The stuff that needs to happen internally, you can do a comedy gig and be spiritually yeah. nowhere. So you can't preach. You can't yeah. preach and be spiritually nowhere. So I mean, this is quite a quite a kind of progression, a change. We sort of started out doing. And it's not I realise there's been a tonal shift as well in the interview. So, but it's it's not it's not that you started out doing stand up and no longer do that. But but that was the main thing. And I know writing books came into that because you wrote two books that were sort of connected with your story of going out there and trying to be a stand up comic. Yeah. Um, and then after that, as you say, going to Huddersfield and, and running a retreat centre, but, but in your words, feeling like that failed, and, yeah. and now feeling like you're being repurposed for preaching. Yeah, so yeah. this is quite quite a change. <coughs> yeah. uh, and it's not, uh, I should say again, it's not that the retreat centre has failed, it's that what I've tried to do has failed. I, I am the one who has failed. So you wanted to, you wanted the centre to be a sort of place where um, Christian artists, yeah. I should say, those involved in the arts who are Christians, yeah. uh, might be a better way of putting it, can, can yeah. come for sort of spiritual refreshment. But why, why hasn't that happened? The uh, sphere of influence that the retreat centre, and it, it runs well as a retreat centre, it's a great place to come. God does business with people there, and the other people who run it are brilliant and the trustees are brilliant. So there is no criticism here of anyone. But the sphere of influence it has isn't the sphere of influence that I need to be able to grow this new thing. My skills are um, are interpersonal and communication-based, not administrative or logistical. So, it, so was it out of this sort of in, instead that the preaching thing came from? Where does that fit in? I don't really... No, I think that I realised for the first time in my career I was faced with a 
bad decision, like a real misstep. I think I've always been quite good at going where the niche was. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was doing that again. I thought I was creating a new niche and actually just hit a wall. I, I, I started taking a quarter of the gigs I've been doing beforehand so I could be there more. If you're on stage three nights a week, four nights a week, chemically you're pretty much, you're never that low. Like your body never gets that low. You never crash. You know, it's like having a permanent caffeine high um, and permanent affirmation. And my addiction is words of affirmation. It's my love language, but it's my addiction as well. To scale all that back, like I really, I did, cr I crashed, like chemically and emotionally, just really crashed because I just wasn't getting that drug. And then um, that drug, I guess, being in the form of applause at stand-up gigs or laughs at stand-up gigs. People, people laughing, people coming up to you at the end and saying, "Well done," and to then suddenly be on the back end of a hill in the middle of nowhere where you're doing something you're not very good at, and even if you were good at, good at it, people wouldn't tell you that. It's just, like, it's difficult. Character is what happens when personality doesn't get its own way. It's not the case that I should just buckle down and, and stay at the retreat centre, but actually, whilst I'm there, there is a, a responsibility to, again, just not, as I said earlier, with, you know, Psalm 37, you, you, you don't stay down. You, you, the Lord has your hand, and so you, you get up. Um, so to answer the question which I do remember this time in the midst of all this uh, my friends Simon Holly and Steve Wilson at the King's Arms Church in Bedford said do you want to come and do a gig for us and also stay on for this on the Saturday night and stay on for the Sunday morning and preach and I thought they were joking because I thought like you know me like this would be a nightmare if you, you want me to preach like you're a church of a thousand people you want me to do the preach on the Sunday uh, they said no we, we sit, this is what we want this is what we think you should do I sort of blagged it to a degree in terms of I did my three best bits of material and I talked about Jesus around it and five people made first time commitments to Jesus and I came off stage feeling more exhilarated than I ever felt in my entire life uh, and thinking oh this this is what I was born to do comedy has been my warm up act as it mm -hmm. turns out and from that moment I thought actually I want to I want to preach the gospel right. because it doesn't mean I can't be uh, a comedian I am that is who I am I am a comedian I can be funny I can use all my best stuff but actually there's there's something better than making people laugh it's making people laugh and then telling them about the gospel so the last two years have been interesting because I've got this growing birthing desire and, and calling and anointing to preach whilst at the same time being in, being in a valley and in, in desert and not being fully released to, to come out of that you're listening to Premier Christian Radio on this Saturday afternoon with me, Sam Hales. It's The Profile, and I'm sitting down with Andy Kind. We recorded this interview in a pub in Eastbourne just before his stand-up gig. That's right, Andy Kind, the Christian comedian turned preacher, is my guest today, and you'll be hearing much more from him right after this. Premier Christianity magazine. In this month's issue... Find out how the church reacted to the Grenfell Tower fire in our exclusive interview with Bishop Graham Tomlin. Plus, is hidden disappointment killing the church? We look at how to handle this difficult emotion and discover Christian views on gender and women's ministry in the church. Plus five miraculous stories, news, reviews and more out now in the June edition. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. 
Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that sponsors this show. If you would like a free sample copy of the latest issue with the UK's leading Christian magazine and you can get yourself a free copy, just head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Simply type your details in and we would love to send you a free copy of the new edition out now. But it's time now to rejoin the conversation that I had with Andy Kind. Uh, there is a little bit of background noise in this interview. We recorded it in a pub just across from a church where Andy was due to perform later that Saturday afternoon. And then the next day at the same church, he's going to be preaching. So Andy Kind is a comedian turned preacher. I'm going to be finding out much more about what that means in the second half of my interview with him. Let's listen in. You wrote something for, for the Christian website Threads a while back that I wanted to put to you again. You said the oral tradition that Christian comedy is not as good as secular comedy, a fact that is no longer true, mm. has been passed down to a generation. And so young people, the 20s and 30s, who I primarily aim my comedy, often don't come along because of the preconceptions they have of what it will and won't be. If they don't come, they don't correct their thinking. The same message about the deficiency <laughs> of Christian comedy gets passed to the next generation. I'm so bombastic. Do you still believe that? Yes, I do. Uh, and I believe it's probably true with other things as well. Uh, yeah, so in a nutshell, what I'm saying is that um, we believe what we're told, don't we? And so... Um, is there still this perception, I think, not just with Christian comedy, but with Christian music, Christian film, Christian anything, that, oh, if it's got the word... I mean, I work for a yeah. Christian magazine. Oh, it's a Christian magazine. There's a perception, certainly amongst people in their, in their 20s and 30s, although I'm sure other ages as well, that the word Christian is before the thing, whether it's yeah. comedy or magazines or music, then, yeah. then that means it's not quite as good. Exactly. And I think that's... And, and, and yet, if someone hears someone is a Christian doctor or a Christian lawyer, we think they must be better. For some reason, we think, oh, I, I trust that like, they must be amazing people and they must be better than normal doctors. So there's something about the arts. And actually, some Christian music isn't very good. But some of it's amazing, actually. And actually, even if it isn't really good, like, this is what God's called people to. It's not our place to tear them down because it's not our preference. There's a real, like, who reviews the reviewers? That's, <laughs> that's my, that's, that's an article I want to write. Who reviews the reviewers? You know, we, um, we, we've been so uh, inflicted, we've been so discipled by the X factory of the age that we should just judge people based on our own mm. preference, on our own sense of law. Um, but yes, I think that people would instinctively say Christian music is rubbish, Christian comedy is rubbish. Well, if you haven't experienced it, then you're just not in a position to say, but where have you got that from? Let me give you a, another story, and I might talk about this in my preach tomorrow, actually. I know a guy, he definitely believes this, that he should never say sorry. Uh, and, I, and I said to him, well, why, what makes you th think that? He said, well, I just, you know, I just, that's just who I am. I've always, it's just, it's, it's intuitive, he said. A while after that, he came up to me, because I sort of, gently tried to challenge him on this. Like, why do you, because he's a Christian guy, like, why do you think this? He came up to me, he said, can I, like, can I have a chat with you? You know when we said, like, where do you get the idea you shouldn't say sorry? He said, as a kid, I was a massive John Wayne fan. And there's a, a, it's either True Grit or The Searchers, where the John Wayne character says to his, like, young lad, um, never apologise, it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. And this guy said, I realised that that's where I got it from. I'd watched it so many times, because I was an avid John Wayne fan, I've just taken it in and so this idea that things are just intuitive and, and obvious and self-evident it's not we absorb 
we've got to be really careful with our words because if you tell your kids evangelicals are bigots or liberals are weird or uh, Christian music is rubbish they'll believe you and they'll live as though that's true yeah but it, it just, just perpetuates, it the perpetuates but it causes right. division and destruction and it's but by the same token, uh, just before we came on air, um, you made a, a remark of, of, you know, say what you want, Sam, but please do not call me a Christian comedian. Yes. So by the same token, there, there is a there is a problem with that particular phrase. Yes. And, and so the way I've heard it put is, and tell me if you agree with this, you'd say, oh, I'm not a I'm not a Christian comedian. I'm a I'm a Christian who is a comedian. Mm. And, and there's a difference. Yeah, I, I've I've described myself as that in the past, but. Um, Yes, I, I think the problem is that we, people like to... We like certainty, don't we? So we like to pigeonhole. The Christian describes me. Christian, com- Christian comedian is not a proper noun. It's not capital C, capital C. Um, it describes me, not the comedy. And like you see me, I, I, am, I am clean and I'm not a, a offensive and I don't swear, I don't use sexual gratuitousness. Um, but those things are incidental. I'm not trying to be clean. I'm yes. trying to be funny. I remember you telling me that um, the, the problem with calling yourself a, a clean comedian is you said that people started to book you who are interested, who are only interested in you being clean and yeah. not interested in you being a comedian. Yeah, the people come up and, and um, they'll say, "Oh, it's so, thank you so much. That was such a good night. So nice to hear someone not swear." I was like, "But that, but do you think it was funny?" <laughs> like, oh, no, yeah, very good, but um, you know, much better than those people, those people on TV use bad language. What do you mean, much better? No, that's you're making a moral judgment on something that's primarily yeah. creative, um, and it's like yeah, the wrong category. It's the right, it's a category error, as philosophers would say. Yeah, I hate the phrase Christian comedy because comedy's comedy, mm-hmm. and Christian comedy is yeah, it's jokes about the Bible and, and and stuff like that. And none of the people I know who do comedy who are Christians do Christian comedy. They're Christians who do um, comedy, but they don't even go around describing. They're just they're comedians. That my job. My my job title on my insurance forms, well, it says writer because it's cheaper, but uh, <laughs> it's you know it says comedian, um, and I think it's the connotations that are conjured up when someone hears the phrase Christian comedy or Christian comedian, they think about they picture something based on what they've had fed to them that has been passed down, and they think well that doesn't sound very good I won't I won't go to that, and people are pretentious people are snobs we're all snobbish and and we all have our own prejudices however mild they can they can be. People are realising now that worship music is probably at its the best it's ever been. Uh, you know, Christian music is probably the best it's ever been because we're exposed to it more and, and there's more freedom. Uh, all the other arts are still behind that. Like, there's some amazing Christian dancers. You, can you name any? Can you name any Christian performance poets? You probably couldn't name 5% of the, of the Christians in comedy and you've known me for like nearly 10 years uh, and you know other people as well but calling me out <laughs> outing you as someone who doesn't know anything um, so yeah and I'm not saying that everyone has to champion everything but the people who can should mm. some of that reminds me of, of some of the experiences I've had when you talk about some of the pre- prejudice that goes on I mean I, I can think of church leaders who won't sit down for an interview like this um, understandably perhaps because they've been burnt in the past by journalists who's dealt with the story in an unethical way and so this kind of becomes a well we can't touch we can't touch journalism I'd rather shy away from that I mean presumably you might have had similar experiences in the in the comedy world of of, of there being Christians out there who do just think of the kind of Ricky Gervais atheist kind of comedy and think well we can't have any of that in the church I think that you've got you have got to be wary but actually there's something about giving people the benefit of the doubt and and just do not be afraid like if people want to 
if people want to in Acts 14 right where Paul and Barnabas go into Derby and Lystra they've been in Lystra they go along the A50 to Derby a lot of the book of Acts is set in the in the East Midlands you know that <laughs> I didn't no. yeah it's true and um, you'll have complaints about that uh, and uh, they get they preach the gospel they get beaten up Paul gets beaten up and thrown out of the city and he goes back in he gets up and he goes back in he's totally fearless they were fearless and and so people can say what they want about about me as a comedian me as an artist me as a as a as a, as a man and all opinions are available not all opinions are valid mm-hmm. but all opinions are available and I can't control what people think I have gone through phases of trying to control what people think even saying think I'm still instinctively saying don't say Christian comedian but actually <laughs> I've always been described as a Christian comedian I can't change it I can't go door knocking around the country and say, please don't call me this because it's been 13 years and people still don't get the message it, it seems to me that you've, you've had a very um, <laughs> you know, easy life no I, I... <laughs> I mean, just just in talking to you previously and reading some of the things you've written, it seems to me you've had a fairly love-hate relationship with the Christian world. There are times where you've, you've sort of said, you know, a lot of the gigs I do are in churches, not all of them are, but, you know, a lot of them are, and I, I have to embrace that, and this is kind of my niche. And there have been other times where you've kind of railed against that and said... Um, I, I don't want to be pigeonholed it in, into that world and actually I am out there in the clubs and, and the church needs to support me in those venues too yeah I think I would probably the, 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 some of that was obviously about my pride and insecurity actually that um, I am probably much more secure in my identity as a child of God now than I ever have been and yes I think in the past I have been so keen to show myself approved by the comedy world or you know as a as a great beacon of Christian entertainment that yeah I have been quite insecure and I have attacked no I haven't attacked but I have railed against aspects of you know Christendom and and rightly or wrongly actually that has been as a result of my own pride and I'm, I suppose I'm just much more relaxed now I of course I don't want to be pigeonholed and I'd like there to be more artistic freedom for me when I do church gigs no, I don't have a love-hate relationship with the church anymore. I love the church, and I have been uh, pr- too proud and too self-indulgent at times. And it doesn't mean there's not a conversation to be had. Yeah, I think we do need we do need to champion our artists more and give them more and give them more support. But actually, the church people are doing their best, aren't they? And we get it wrong, but we're doing our best. And no one is deliberately getting it wrong mm. I don't think most so, of the time absolutely. so yeah I, I've definitely softened on that um, as a result of, of having a massive failure over the last two years I think you have much more grace for, for other people's like uh, shortcomings what would it look like for me to have more freedom I think is, that, this, is this about like this might, might not be what you're saying but is this about sort of pushing the envelope with the kind of jokes that you feel you can get away with in a church setting yeah I mean I'm not I'm never trying to be crude like comedy is just an extension no. of who you are and I, you know I'm not going to no, suddenly of course. I'm not withholding F-bombs here I'm not like trying to trying to not say them that's not who I am no um, but I, I think it's more the um, for instance if I wanted to talk about the struggles that Christian men have with porn mm. I couldn't even if I'm a visiting preacher or a visiting entertainer and I'm doing it <coughs> from a position of trying to help us overcome that issue using humour and that on paper that sounds great oh comedy breaks down barriers and stuff no it doesn't work because the moment you mention porn the whole room goes dead mm-hmm. the whole room goes dead 
Why? Because we're not, we weren't expecting it. We're not used to talking about it. Lots of people have secret battles in the room. You know, the percentage of Christian men who have secret battles with porn. And so people shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and as a, as a, I can still talk about it, but I won't get any laughter. Right. And I probably won't get any laughter for the rest of the gig. And you could probably bring that up in the context of preaching, but what you're saying is in the context of going to a church and doing a comedy show. Yeah. That deadens the room and, and you, easier people, is it? People aren't willing to, I guess people aren't willing to laugh about that, even if, and comedy is often talked about in this way, that it is actually just telling the truth. <laughs> Yeah. a lot of comedy and, and that kind of makes us feel a bit uncomfortable when we laugh Yeah, but, and that works with some subjects but you're saying with, with pornography that wouldn't yeah and I, so that would be an example but even things like so the word you absolutely can't say you won't expect well I, you can guess what is the one word as a comedian doing the sort of gigs that I do that you cannot say you won't you won't guess but the, the one word which is guaranteed to take all the air out of the room is racism the word Racism, hmm. not being racist, but saying the word racism. Really, that's game over. I promise you. There's just certain things that, or everybody, but I think particularly Christian audiences are just worried about. And it's not because Christians are prudish; it's because they care. I used to, I used to say things like it's prudishness, and it, you know, it's it's piety. No, it's because they care, right, yeah. and they have a sense of justice. And they have a heart for people, and it grieves us when th when there's injustice. It grieves us when people are racist. So it, it's it's that. But it, yeah. what it means is that you're not free on stage to talk about whatever you want. Right. I'd love to speak. To, I did the article for Christianity magazine last time about um, when Justin was still in charge. It was better then, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he said um, miles better. Because uh, yeah. sure. uh, he got in touch with me and said Justin Briley and said. Uh, comedians are the new prophets. Can you write about that? I said, yeah, but I've got to say that they're not the new prophets. I remember that. I remember yeah. having a conversation with Justin when we commissioned that. And uh, so, so the idea was we wanted you to write this, as you say, this article that that comedians are modern day prophets because they're out there and they're speaking truth to power. Yeah. And um, you know they're, they're making all these really highly charged political points that change people's minds. And, and you're right. You came back and you said that it's not true. No, it's, comedians are not prophets. They don't speak truth to power. Uh, they they ego groom the people in front of them they are yes men and snake oil salesmen generally speaking like uh, people only laugh at what they recognize and most com most comedy in this country is about making people feel the people in the audience feel better but here for now uh we're, we're we haven't you know caleb's come back and said we need to take the land but we haven't taken the land yet I'm Caleb. How about that? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Ken Dodd was Caleb. You talked before about having bad gigs, and presumably it's quite easy to measure what a bad gig is because people just don't laugh. Yeah. So a bad. Is that all it is? Yeah. Mate, usually, yeah, yeah. It's um, and it, what's interesting as 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 I preach a lot now, like you don't know what a bad preach is. Yeah. Because actually. And actually, if you're in a band, you probably... I mean, it, it, maybe if you hit lots of wrong notes, you might know. But even then, people, musicians talk about having a bad gig. And I always think, well, what does that look like? Yeah, I think with music, you know, you do a song and people clap at the end. Well, that, with comedy, you know you're having a bad gig because people don't laugh. Right. Actually, it still may not be a bad gig. If you're doing a gig on the, on the north coast of Northern Ireland, uh, they're just so confused as to why there's comedy there. Um, <laughs> I did a gig. For, really? Yeah, a church in Northern Ireland. Lovely, just beautiful people. Uh, lovely, lovely people. But they were so scared, they didn't know what was going on, and I died. I thought I was dying. But they, loads of them came up with me and said, thanks for that, it was really good. So, but why didn't you laugh? 
<laughs> they just didn't know how they, they didn't have that culture but yeah generally speaking you know a bad gig because people aren't, okay. aren't laughing um, but whereas with a preach actually sometimes when they're the most silent that's that's the best preach yeah so I don't I'm still learning I'm still learning yeah. that um, I want to talk more about preaching in a minute but, but tell me about the best gig you've had um, the best yeah I mean there's been, there has been loads there's been as you would hope after 2000 gigs well there's one I think I can think of um, I'm sure the majority were brilliant yeah, the, well, the majority who, yeah, ninety ninety seven percent are somewhere between good and great. Yeah, um, I think last last year at New Wine, I retired from New Wine last year, um, doing the after hours because the Lord said you need to move out the way if you want to preach on main stage. You need to step down from the comedy stage, and also you need you need to give some of the people you've been discipling a go. First time I performed at King's Arms in Bedford again. It's always been a special place for me. Uh, Digbeth Vineyard Church uh, in in Birmingham was amazing. First time I did that. First time I'd done an hour. Um, so it's always the seminal things. It's the the first time you do an hour. First time you do an hour and a half. First time you do two hours. First time you get a standing ovation. Um, I, I would have traditionally said my Greenbelt show in two thousand and eight when I got together afterwards with a girl who's now my wife so oh, wow. yeah. that would be the most significant <laughs> of, of gigs um, but you know what yeah, you don't repeat an experience like that you right? don't repeat an experience well, I hope not yeah <laughs> it's not totally impossible but I hope not um, but yeah I um, I don't have I currently don't have a a favourite a favourite gig but that one we went to in Southampton together that was good the one I we, really we enjoyed that met. gig that was in a Costa Coffee in Southampton and um I mean, it was pretty obvious, even just for myself who knows nothing about comedy, that a huge amount of that gig was was improvised and on the spot, which I just have a huge amount of respect for anyone who can improvise like that. So the best for me, the best type of gig, if I can, if I can spend most of my time, if I can spend like a third of the gig bantering mm. and ad libbing, yeah, I enjoy that the most because I, I know and that my, gig felt like ninety percent bantering. And it probably wasn't ninety because a lot <laughs> it's smoke and mirrors. I'm a snake oil, I'm a snake oil salesman, remember? But um, yeah, I, I am. Uh, I've always been known on the comedy circuit and, uh, as someone who is really good at comping, really good at bantering, uh, and good at ad libbing. But that's 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 a real skill, I think. If someone like yourself who who doesn't want to be um, rude, uh, but you know what I mean? Because a lot of bantering with people descends yeah. into mocking them. Yeah, it can. And, to, and to mock people in a way that is, I mean, you'll have the language for this in a way that I don't, but, but mocking people, a way of mocking people that's fun, that's good natured, that doesn't just descend into rudeness, mm. I think is incredibly difficult. But again, it's just an extension of who you are. So, like, I, I don't mock people in my life. Like, I, I work really hard to honour people in my life. And so you just do that on stage, but you do it with jokes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but my be- favourite sort of gig, if I can. Because I know my material and I, I enjoy it, and you do new material and you enjoy that. But if you get to, you get more credit from yourself and from the audience if you create something out of nothing. Yeah. There's something spontaneous, you know, yeah. creation ex nihilo is, um, if it happens on a cosmic level or as a vignette in a comedy show, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I found this really great quote from you um, the other day <laughs> that uh, I think you were asked, it was actually by the Evangelical Alliance, you were asked, What's your dream for society? Oh, yeah. Which is a wonderful question to ask, yeah. um, which would, would, would almost imply that you are the next American president or, yes. um, or something like that. Yeah, I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping to be uh, But, but they, they asked you, what, What's your dream for society? And you gave the brilliant answer of to see people living like Tom and Barbara from The Good Life. Sustainable living, sharing resources, and tight-knit communities. Yeah, you see, that's interesting. That was a uh, that was my uh, 
as my social justice season. Um, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I love Tom O'Borrow from The Good Life, and what I've said, I, I think I like. But um, yeah, that, so that was probably about eight years ago now, and um, that wouldn't be my answer now. Mm. My, my so, what was happening at that time that, that made you say that? Well, I, I was quite newly married, and uh, my wife used to work for a prayer and campaigning network, and um, she was very much, you know, that sort of social justice green belt type of yeah. Christian, and. Um, so and she was really interested and still is interested in sustainable living and so I kind of just got we were we went through a gardening phase we used to garden we had a you know a you're the first person I've ever interviewed he said <laughs> I went through a gardening yeah. phase it was a phase it was an addiction and uh, I'm clean of, I'm clear of it now I can't see a trowel uh, I can't be around <laughs> trowels um, I can't be around people who are eating trowels <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about so um, yeah so that I was just I think I was learning I was learning the so I have I've always had this question about why is it that it seems that evangelical Christians can't believe in social justice mm. um, and why liberal Christians can't believe in the gospel <laughs> uh, traditionally I'm, I'm being I'm being flippant but it's always seemed like this this there can be those two sides yeah, you either believe in preaching the gospel you're either a missional Christian who preaches the gospel or you're missional at inaugurating social justice and so I think what I what was going on there was sort of widening myself out a little bit but I would now say that you know my dream for society is to see people living from their identity as children of God and that might seem a little bit trite and maybe it is try but actually that is that is what I want because I think that's what you know Galatians 4 6 and 7 you are no longer slaves but sons and, and also by definition daughters I mean that just incredible it's for freedom Galatians 5 1 it's for freedom that Christ has set you free I think I am um, I was in my 30s before I realized the power of the gospel as what the gospel is the gospel is not um, stop being naughty or God will be angry that's not the gospel that's not repentance repentance is change your mind turn away change your mind about what about who you were born to be and turn away towards what towards the guy who can give you that freedom that sets you free and empowers you to be who you were born to be I, I think there was a I was bereft of p people um, who were modeling you know biblical Christianity I think biblical <laughs> I've had so much diet coke that <laughs> I think biblical Christianity is a merge of those social justice things yeah. and the preaching of the gospel. I want I want to do what the guys in the Book of Acts were doing. I think most evangelicals today would would agree with you on that point, and I think there has been, in, even in my lifetime, a massive shift in how the average evangelical thinks yeah. about social justice. Yeah. But it is it's really refreshing, Andy. You know, to to hear you talk so honestly and openly about things you said before that you've changed your mind on and have a different slot yeah. on um, yeah. which is, is pretty much everything you've quoted me on <laughs> so I don't believe that anymore <laughs> I think that's refreshing and it's 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 clearly healthy that you're in a different place to where you were but but I want to draw you a bit more on that with yeah with what you said a moment ago about new wine and and the kind of the way you put it was well I need to sort of stop doing the after hours comedy stuff um and now I feel called to preaching but, but you know, you also said the first preach you gave was two thirds of your comedy set. Yeah. So how do you see those two things in the future? So I want the preaching to overwhelm, come out from the middle of, and then overwhelm, like grow up from inside of the comedy and overwhelm it ultimately. Um, you know, so you have to have good soil in order for things to sprout and grow. 
Uh, I told you I had a gardening phase, you remember? <laughs> there it is, it's coming <laughs> yeah, back. It's coming back, isn't it? <laughs> um, but, um, so yeah, comedy's the soil from which the preaching grows out of. But I think it's more about how I am seen. Like, I am known You're as... known as a comedian. As, like. as the comedian. <laughs> but the in, Christian in, comedian yeah, in some circles. In some circles. But yeah, as a comedian, um, and as actually... You know, so there are there are certain Christian festivals where I was never allowed on the main stage because I wasn't trusted. I was trusted at the after hours, but I wasn't trusted anywhere else. Right. Um, because they thought I'd be a bit naughty, and I would have been a bit naughty because I am a child <laughs> and I am playful. But but you know, the, I think it's a, I think it's fun to have a preacher who's a bit naughty, isn't it? Yeah. So, but I I think it was mainly so it was the two things. You know, I spend some of my time a lot. Some of my effort goes into trying to champion young Christians or you know less experienced Christians who are coming onto the comedy scene I try and get them to be my support acts I try and spend time with them I run workshops for them I want to champion them and disciple them and model something for them um, and some of those guys are now at the stage where they're ready for the big festivals and because I've been hogging it me and Paul Carenza uh, like I have to, I have to move out the way, because otherwise, you know, Robbie Dawkins again at New Wine a few years ago said your main calling in any ministry is to equip those coming up behind you, so they can stand on your shoulders. So there's that. It's let, it's getting out the way so other people can have a go, but it is also about say, look, if people, if you want to be taken seriously as a preacher, there's just certain things that you can do. Yes. To surrender that yeah to help to surrender kind of lay down your arms from the previous battle so I, I don't I'm not doing I'm not doing any Christian festival I'm not at Spring Harvest now I'm not going to New Wine I'm not doing not doing anything I won't I won't do it because actually I just need to have there needs to be a break there needs to be a fallow season it, it seems quite nice in the meantime that you can do a bit of both so you're about to go on stage and do this uh, stand up how long are you playing for tonight? I'll do about an hour and a half. We'll do an hour and a half tonight of stand-up comedy, and then the next morning you're going to be preaching at the church that you did. I'm doing all three services, yeah. At the church you did the stand-up the night before, so that's, that's right. kind of fun. So that's good, because actually um, preaching doesn't pay. <laughs> comedy pays. Okay. So, yeah, my my new uh, my new model, my new resource is that I'll do, I do the Saturday night comedy, and they pay me for that, because that's my job. Yeah. Uh, and then... I preach for free on yeah. the, on the Sunday, so they get they get something, I get something, and it's you know it's a good it's a good relationship. And also they, we we go on a journey together over the weekend. So uh, yeah, I'll be I'll doing all three services tomorrow, having had a nice a nice time tonight. Hopefully, fantastic. And I want to finish just um, by talking about your books a little bit because I know that's a huge part of your career we mm. haven't really touched on at all. I understand you're writing at the moment a sequel to a previous book. Is that correct? That is correct. Thank you. I am writing a sequel to the unfortunate adventures of Tom Hillingthwaite, um, which is my third, the third of my three books, and the first, the first with me not in it. So it's a third-person comedy novel about an evangelist who uh, moves from a really middle-class area to a quite a rough area called Bruton, which may or may not sound like the place <laughs> it's based on. He tries to build community, but the, the thing about him is that he's the worst evangelist in the world. And so it's quite interesting because it's about... I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to tell a funny story about someone who is called but not capable. Called but not equipped. 
and the story's about lots of things but it, it, it's really about our identity is simply in who we are not what we're good at um, so it's the story of, of Tom being moving to this place and just being terrible he's not a good evangelist he doesn't lead anyone to the Lord and his wife leads loads of people to the Lord easily his daughter at school she starts like this little mini alpha thing even his cat leads someone to the Lord but he doesn't do it and it's about that struggle that questioning like what is God doing but it, you know it's a real redemption story because he he learns where his worth is and that it's not really about it's not really about him and it's not about performance it's, it's, it's kind of railing against that middle class Christianity that says you have to strive for something uh, what I really was keen not to do was to tell a trite twee Christian novel so at the end uh, spoiler alert he you know he loses his job the Christian ministry is working for just summarily sacks him and he loses his house and he has to leave so the end of the story is him taking his family away having been disgraced in a sense and it was I really wanted it to be an, an honest story about the struggles of, of working in Christian ministry it's not aren't Christians good people aren't atheists bad people like I want to tell funny stories well but from the Christian world so it's not it's about the Christian world in the same way that you know a Charles Dickens novel is about the Victorian era mm -hmm. it's just set it's just set there but yeah. I just want to tell really good funny stories which have a which have a heart and and communicate something of the, of the gospel so that's it that's right. it so where can people go to get the first one and your other two books yeah well I, you know I like to promote eden.co.uk there's you know any of the major book selling websites you can go to but Eden Eden are cool I like them and uh, yeah so, so go there uh, or you can come to one of my gigs and buy them off me there. Even better. Well, um, I'm going to let you go, Andy, get to this gig, but I couldn't really let you go without asking the question that I've been wanting to ask for the whole of this interview, and that is, as a travelling comedian, what is your favourite service station? Oh, yes. Well, this, thank you so much. I, And it's not like... you. Most comedians say that one north of Manchester on the way to the Lake District in, on the M6. My favourite one, bizarrely is uh, Corley, Corley Services, which is south of Birmingham on the M6. Because if I'm doing a long trip to the south, it's usually halfway, and it's the one I stop at. And it's got a lovely big car park, and I just it makes Fantastic. me feel really it makes me feel really comfortable. It's so it's Corley services, but I like I like Warwick and Oxford on the M40. As okay, well. they're good runner-ups. <laughs> yeah, they're good runner-ups. Yeah. All right, great. Well, and I'm gonna let you go get to this gig. I hope it goes really well, and I hope the preaching goes well tomorrow Thanks, as well. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It's been great to have you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on The Profile this Saturday afternoon. I've been Sam Hales interviewing the comedian-turned-preacher Andy Kind. We'll see you next week.